Life Beyond Limits podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibson. Each week I'll be sharing a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading transformation coach, helping you to release resistance around money, success and self-worth and to see the limitless potential within yourself to be, do and have anything that your heart desires. My aim for this podcast is to share incredible insights into how to create a champion mindset and live the life that you were born to live with confidence, ease and belief. So are you ready to transform your life from the inside out? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. This week I'm joined by the amazing Sam Colclough. Sam is a qualified hypnotherapist and mindset coach who runs a successful online business called As Good As Your Mind. Sam is one amazing lady who I've been blessed with to have in my life. Her story is unique, at times very sad, but above all inspiring. Today Sam is sharing with us the impact of living with someone with mental health issues has had on her, her life both personally and professionally, what she did to cope with the challenges and how she's gone on to use her experience to help and support thousands of people. As one mindset coach to another, I can't wait to find out what keeps her going and how to turn a negative situation into a truly inspiring business. Hello, Sam. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the show. I've been wanting to get you on here for ages, so I'm really chuffed that you're here today. Long time coming. Indeed. Uh, mental health is something that we've all heard of. Um, but it's something that we don't all truly understand and we don't really understand the impact that it has on people's lives. And it is often mis- un- misunderstood on so many levels, quite often because it's, it's an internal illness rather than a physical illness. And so people don't always necessarily see it as a serious problem. But as you well know, and as we're about to discover, it does impact on so many different people, not just the people that are suffering with that illness, but the families, that are surrounding that. Mm. Uh, I said in the introduction that obviously you have um, lived and dealt with someone who has suffered a serious mental health issue. Obviously that lovely lady was your mum. If you wouldn't mind just starting the show, just talking a bit about your mum, her illness and the impact that that had on you. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, touching on on the the, the first bit that you said around, not seeing the mental illness as you know because it's such an internalized problem it's only now on reflection um and with with everything that you know has happened that i now truly understand the the impact of mental health um so yeah it just you know once you fully understand how the mind works it just gives a completely different perspective on mental health which i'm sure you appreciate as well but yeah, I mean, mum, mum, you know, for want of a better word, was a, a very normal lady. You know, she, she, you know, she met um, uh, my dad, and she married at a young age, and she was ambitious, and she did amazing things, an incredible a mum, a risk taker, all of those kind of things, um, for a small proportion of my life, and then at the age of eleven. Um, I think it was Christmas 1999 actually was the last time that I remember her being like I say normal for want of a better word because that that year is when things just went downhill Um, and I can remember my 
not my dad at the time, but a stepdad, my mum had remarried, um, shouting at me at, at Christmas saying, come downstairs, you know, we need to take your mum to hospital. And that was the first overdose of, of many to come. Um, and I think, I think I was even younger than, yeah, I was, I was about nine or 10 when that first happened. Um, and James, my stepdad at the time was just shouting, saying, you know, do everything you can to keep your mum awake. So I was sat in the back of the car and I was having to slap her face and do all of these kind of things. Um, and then she went into hospital. She had her stomach pumped, all of those kind of things. And obviously at such a young age, you, you don't understand what's going on or, or why it's happening. Um, and life kind of dramatically went downhill for her from that point. You know, she, she ended up divorcing the man, James, that she, she was with. We ended up moving to emergency accommodation um, and all of those kind of things. And then at the age of 11 is when I officially became a young carer for her um, because she was diagnosed with manic bipolar depression and schizophrenia. Right. Um, and you, again, you, 11 years old, you, do, you don't know what the, the term young carer means. You know, you've got a mum that you love and adore um, that is suffering behind, beyond, comprehend, beyond comprehension. Um, so that's when the journey really, really started for me. And, you know, from, from the age of 11, my life was, um, I'd like to say, you know, I had a, a, a reasonable childhood, you know, my mum did the very, very best that she could with where she was at, but, you know, she would be trying to take her life four or five times a year, maybe six. So, you know, I'd be coming home from school and it would be roulette as to whether she was, um, having a day where all the curtains were shut and she was in bed, she wasn't socialising, dinner wasn't done, all of those kind of things, to days where she felt reasonably okay and she'd be, a, you know, mum pottering around doing the dinner, doing the cleaning and all of those kind of things, to coming home from school and either um, not coming home to mum because she'd already been admitted to hospital having taken an overdose or coming back to my mum having taken an overdose and me then yeah. having to do the things that I needed to do in order to make sure um, she was looked after. Um, so yeah, it was an incredible stressful journey. Um, and that, that is really what happened year after year after year for as long as I could remember. Um, I didn't, you know, complete all my GCSEs and all of those kind of things I didn't go to school as much as 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 what I could because I was kind of taking care of my mum um and even into my early 20s you know the into my early 20s it was she was still very very dependable on me you know very dependent so you know I'd finish a hard day's work and I'd have to go home and I'd have to care for her or I'd go and have to pick her up or do shopping for her and all of those kind of things um so yeah, it had a huge, huge impact um, on me for, for many reasons, but yeah, incredibly difficult seeing someone that you love suffer so, so deeply. And at such a young age. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to, to put on anybody. And obviously the last thing she probably wanted was to put that pressure on you as well. And so um, how did you cope with that? Because to, to go to school and then to come back not knowing what you're going to be coming back home to is really a lot to take on at, at any age. And so what were your coping mechanisms during that time? 
It's a really difficult question to answer purely because at that age, I don't think you think about it in that way. I don't think you think, right, how am I going to cope with this day now? I think as a child of that age, you just come home and you deal with the situation as it is. And then you go to sleep and you wake up and it's a new day. Um, I think as I got older, my coping mechanism was... I've seen someone that I love so much be in that situation. I don't ever want to be in that situation myself. Yeah. So there's no option for me other than to keep going. Um, you know, keep doing the things that I'm doing, keep looking after her, keep taking action because I wasn't ever going to put myself in being in that situation and allowing whatever it had taken hold of her to take hold of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how did it impact your relationship with her? Oh, <laughs> that's a minefield. <laughs> um, oh, God, in so many ways. Um, you know, resentment, anger, yeah. frustration. Um, it certainly had a detrimental impact on how I choose to view the world in my, you know, later years. Yeah. Um, you know, my self-worth, all of those kind of things. You know, how could... How could I be lovable? How could I be important if the one person that's supposed to stay around and care for you can do those things, potentially leaving you motherless? What's wrong with me? Why aren't I good enough or important enough? All of those kind of things. Um, resentment towards her in the sense that, you know, she brought me into this world. It wasn't my choice to come into this world. So yeah. therefore, then you have an obligation to be, you know, the best parent that you can be. Um the resentment around kind of, I already was trying to create something for my life. I was trying to live again, want for a better word, a normal life by holding down a full-time job and having boyfriends and stuff like that. Yet I was always having to do all of those extra curricular things for her as well. Um, and frustration, I suppose, from the point of even with the mental illnesses, she was such an incredible woman. Like on her good days, she was creative. She was energetic. She was entrepreneurial. She was like an incredible woman. Um, and I was very frustrated at her then, obviously not having the knowledge that I have now that she couldn't snap out of it. Yeah. And that's one of the, the, the I think the terms that, you know, gets banded around quite a lot with mental illness is like, just snap out of it, like do, do something. And yeah. that was pure ignorance on my part, thinking yeah. that something so severely debilitating to her was something she could just snap out of it. Because if she could just snap out of it, she would have done for the yeah. sake of me, for the set herself and all of those kind of things. Um, so yeah, it changed. And I suppose it also changed our relationship in the sense of I was the mum, she was the daughter yeah. in those situations. And then I found it very, very difficult then when she was having her good days that she'd then want to become mum again. And then I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like that's, that's a really, really difficult transition to get your head around is having that kind of role reversal 24 seven. Totally. I mean, you touched on such um, a valid point there in that that your immediate thoughts were to, you know, to snap out of it. And then when you see them having good days, you're like, well, why can't you be like that more often? And it is that lack of understanding that we all have, unless you are in it uh, and living with someone or living in it yourself, 
that we just don't understand because it's not necessarily always 100% a constant thing. The illness is there. There are triggers that trigger it off um, more than others. But then you do get glimpses of that normal person, as you've said. And that's where the confusion and the the um, frustration and the anger, I suppose, sort of stems from. Mm-hmm. How, did you, how did you deal with those emotions? Because they're hard emotions, especially at an impressionable age that you were in your early adulthood as well, because, you know, you want to explore your life. You wanted to, you know, go in and have a career and, and create a life for yourself, as you said, but you still had these responsibilities um, on your shoulders. So was there an outlet that you had that kind of helped you to escape or to cope or any which way? No, I don't. I think, I think I just threw myself into everything and anything, you know, I never turned to, um, I say I never turned to alcohol. That's a complete lie. Um, you know, from, I suppose from the age of 14, 15, I relied on drugs and alcohol quite heavily. Mm. Um, and then, I think I got to the age of 16, 17 and kind of saw those that I was growing up with. And then it was just like, no, I don't really want this life. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to kind of move away from that. So and then I suppose my outlet was right. You know, I want to, I want to create a life that I enjoy. So that's working hard, that's earning money, doing all of those kind of things. Um, and just, I suppose, taking her weaknesses and making them my strength, seeing her in that way and never wanting to be that way. So doing everything that I could to be the complete opposite, you know, and that's usually the case when it comes to conditioning or what we've seen growing up, whether our parents are alcoholics, whether, you know, we've, you know, been beaten up or all of those kind of things, we usually tend to try and do the absolute opposite mm. to what they've, they've shown us. And I think that was it. I've become very career focused. I became very driven. Um, and I suppose in, in those early or later years, should I say, um, I just ca- carried a constant air of frustration with her. Like I loved her dearly. And we, you know, we still find gl- glimpses of, of laughter, but the, the 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 relationship was definitely strained and felt very very frustrating most yeah. most of the time so i would do all that i could to spend as least time as possible with her and just focus on what i needed to do selfishly maybe yeah. some might, might view that but you know i i had to protect my own best interests totally totally and that takes courage and strength to do that to to be able to say look i need to to lead my life I'm always there for you, but I've got to put myself first. Mm. And that, you know, again, shows what an amazing person you are and the strength that you found in that situation. I mean, what fears did you experience during that time? What, whilst looking after her? Well, yeah, well, that and transitioning into an adult from a young carer into an adult who still has these responsibilities. I think the, the 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 biggest fear, I, and I don't think it was a fear because I conditioned myself to believe that regardless of what happened with her, I would always be protected because I put up that brick wall. I think I'd always anticipated her dying. So therefore, when she did die, it wouldn't be... Um, 
as as painful when it actually happened so I wouldn't say that mum actually dying was a fear because I, I kind of I created that that belief that it wouldn't hurt me I think the biggest fear of all that I've probably carried not so much now because I've done a lot of work but carried through kind of my early late 20s is um I'm I'm unlovable mm. you know all of those kind of things around relationship nothing lasts forever um but yeah it's, it's weird though because those those kind of fears didn't debilitate me I still took action despite of those things that were going on internally if that makes sense totally I mean totally from what you said you know you made it your almost your mission to lead a normal life and to never be in that that position yeah. and that that really kind of highlights when you make your goals bigger than your fears, then the goal becomes so much more achievable and you focus on that rather than on the what ifs, the buts and, and everything else that goes on. So, you know, I think that's an amazing example of, of how that works. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You touched on the fact that unfortunately your mum lost her life. At what stage of your life did that happen? I was 26 and I was five months pregnant um, and about 150 miles away from my mum at the time of it happening. I'd actually relocated to Wales, um, but yeah, I was 26 and five months pregnant when that happened. Wow. I mean, that's tough at any stage, but with that as well. What was your relationship like with her before she passed? Um, I think... I'd done a lot of work internally um, and the relationship that we had before she passed was a relationship which I wish we'd always had. Absolutely. Um, so our relationship towards the end, I had a better understanding of, you know, why she was the way she was. It wasn't about me. We made the best out of bad situations. You know, we were very, very, very close, um, you know, the, the last couple of years before she passed away, which yeah. I'm, you know, extremely thankful for because now I have those memories that replace the, the bad ones, you know. Totally, totally. You mentioned that you've done a lot of internal work leading up to, to her passing. Would you mind just sharing what that is? Because obviously I know to some level what internal work means but for those that are listening what work really helped you to kind of understand as you mentioned that it wasn't about you it wasn't your fault it wasn't a punishment because quite often people think that you know what have I done so wrong I just want my mum to be all right or what you know I want to be loved so what did you do to to kind of understand that I think the older that I got um and having had a few relationships prior to the man that I'm now with, who's the father of um, my son, I became a lot more aware of my patterns and behaviours on a conscious level. And I, I, was, I was becoming very aware of, I'd keep doing the same thing over and over again that was harmful to me and also harmful to my relationships. So like, you know, the lack of trust, always feeling like I was going to be, you know, cheated on or left or all of those kind of things. And I was like, why is that a constant thing? What is happening there? Um, 
And as I, ex as I started to explore that further and kind of ask myself questions and delve a little bit deeper, I realized that actually those fears and what was happening in you know my exterior life was a result of how mum had made me feel for so many years mm. um, and it really the, the the time that I did that self-development work and started to really question why I felt the way that I did is then when mum passed and that's where the next transition happened where I really went deep on right let's get this sorted now yeah because so because you, you mentioned then obviously you know that you were six months pregnant when she passed away, how did you deal with that emotional, emotional situation, the hormonal situation? <laughs> you mentioned that you had been preparing for it or you hadn't feared it because you'd protected yourself. Did that protection work or did it all come flooding in when, when she passed away? No, nothing prepares you for losing. No. Losing the one closest to you, absolutely not. And and the irony is, um, as our relationship got better and better in the later years, I'd actually started to lower that barrier, and yeah. I actually started to think, wow, you know, this is everything that we've missed out on. She's in a better place because, obviously, from the age of eleven right through to my early twenties, you know, medication had changed, support yeah. had changed, all of those kind of things. So naturally, she started to put herself in a position where she could deal with her illness better as well. Um, so I'd kind of let my barriers down in the later years thinking, oh, right. Okay. This is, you know, this is what it should be like. Um, and, and I can remember it's, it, it when I got the call and she'd already been, she'd been put in hospital prior to that because of the, 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 the issues that she was having with her stomach and stuff like that. Um, when I got the call, I just, yeah, I can, I can remember it so vividly, just falling to the floor, um, being in complete pieces, like nothing ever, ever prepares you for that, no matter how much you try and put up a brick wall. And, and the irony is you spend all of those years putting up your brick wall and stopping love from coming in and all of those kind of things. But ultimately it never works because it's still going to feel just as painful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And you can hear the emotion in your voice. So you know, I, I thank you for, for talking so openly about it. I mean, moving on from that with regards to sort of the emotional side, obviously you're pregnant. How, how did those months look once she'd passed away? Um, bleak for, for, for a short period of time. Um, that whole period in quick succession was just terrible you know I, I was five months pregnant I just moved to a, a not long moved to a new area I'd started a new job um we had a lot of personal issues going on with with someone that was causing tremendous amount of pain um to our to our family home um mum had passed away and the company that I was working for at the time gave me a week's bereavement leave um and in that week's bereavement leave, I was expected to obviously sort all of the things out that you have to do. And I had to beg for a second week's bereavement leave in order to, um, you know, clear out her flat, her belongings, which I had the help of some incredible people, um, go and pick up her stuff from the hospital, you know, sort out her funeral, all of those kind of things to then return back to work after those two weeks. And they put me on a performance review yeah. because I hadn't been doing what I needed to do in my job whilst all of that was happening. Um, 
so yeah I mean I was having I can remember sitting in the car and just crying every single morning driving to work thinking like you know I need my mum I'm I'm pregnant I don't know what to expect to be a mum um work not not being very good and I was just crying every single morning and I I can remember my partner with me at the time he'd come to work I think he was dropping me off actually and I just I burst burst down in tears to the point where I was just like I can't I can't physically do it anymore I I can't I haven't got the energy I haven't got the emotional state to deal with life anymore and at that point when I said that mentally I haven't got the energy to deal with life anymore is when I took action because it took me straight back to that moment of I said I'd never put myself in that situation um quite emotional um and And then from that moment on, I decided to take maternity leave early um, because, you know, they wanted me out and I didn't want to be there. So I took maternity leave early and then I sought alternative therapies. Um, You know, I didn't want to go to medication. I didn't believe in what medication had to offer. I didn't want to go to counselling. I wanted something that could kind of really turn my mindset around. Um, So I looked up hypnotherapy for some reason, something, you know, drew me to hypnotherapy. And I went and saw this incredible woman that in, you know, 50 minutes explained to me how my mind had been working and what I needed to do to step away from that. And in that moment is when I then got the understanding of how my mum had been feeling for however many years. Yeah. Um, and then that's the work that I did then. I worked with my hypnotherapist for, I think, six or seven sessions. Um, and she completely changed my life around. But yeah, in in those very few weeks it was very very bleak difficult emotional hard time yeah which it would be Uh, and no one can ever imagine what it's like as you've said um until you're in that situation there's no preparation for it um so i really do appreciate you sharing that because i can see the emotion and i want to give you a virtual hug (laughs) um but it was in that dark time at that lowest that you suddenly were reminded of that promise that you'd made to yourself. And that's when you seek to get help. You, you mentioned just in that first initial session that the, the lady that you were working with gave you an insight into, like made sense of everything that had been going on. Did that give you comfort or did that, how did that make you feel? Because it could go one of two ways. Yeah, it gave me massive comfort. And I think knowledge is power. You know, we've got something that's so incredibly powerful to us, which is our brain. And, you know, unless we fully understand it, we don't know how to use it to its best optimum level. We don't know how to necessarily understand, um, you know, why we feel the way that we do and the actions that we, we take daily and for her to just kind of put it down on paper and say look it's not your fault the way you've been feeling is a result of x y and z this is how your mind's working um you know it's a build-up of all life's experiences that have got you to this breaking point you know the, the things that you may be not doing that you should do more of all of those kind of things so I found it incredibly comforting because as soon as you have knowledge, you have the power. And once you have the power, you can start to change things for the better. Totally. I love that. And and it's so true. Um, And, you know, and from that, from those sessions that you had, those six or seven sessions, you, you've now 
gone on to become a hypnotherapist um, and gone on to help thousands of other people. What was your motivation behind being the client to becoming the hypnotherapist? If I had have known what I know now, my mum would potentially still be alive. And if I know what I know now and I could have helped save her, then I can help many other women around the world. Wow. That's, that's powerful. <laughs> that's totally powerful. And, and you know, and, and an amazing thing to, to discover. Um, and, you know, it's in those moments, isn't it, that people either use their experiences to go on and help others or they use it to define them. Um, you know, I'm a massive believer that your past doesn't define your future um, no. and, and that everything does happen for a reason and it's what you do in these, those dark moments. Um, you know, I've experienced dark moments not in the same um, way as you, but it's in those moments that you have that choice and it is that choice that will then decide what path you then take. Um, and it's owning that choice and recognizing that you can continue to choose again and to keep choosing until it feels right for you. Yeah. Um, and that we're not just limited to that one choice. You know, there are unlimited choices out there. Just grab them and, and do with them what feels right for you. Absolutely. So, so talk me through that process then. So obviously you made that choice that you wanted to be in a position to help others so they never had to essentially go through a similar experience as, as yourself. Uh, one I totally relate to, but what did that then mean to you moving forward to get you to where you are right now? Um, I think, I, I think, like you say, once you kind of make that choice, that choice then manifests into lots of different other areas and lots of ideas. So there was my, my business kind of now has many facets where I recognize some of the key things in my mum in terms of how entrepreneurial she was and stuff like that when she was at her best self. Yeah. Um, and I really want to help women that are in that position where they've taken the courage, that leap of faith to make that business happen and support them and then in addition to that I've got that I don't ever want to have women feel the way that I did how my mum felt all of those kind of things um so how I got to that is literally after those six seven sessions that I had with this lady I had that initial thought um I you know my son was still in my belly all of these kind of things and it was just like I've got to do something about it I don't want to live a mediocre life anymore mm. um you know I've lost my mum um I've got an amazing son that's waiting to to come out and and see me uh, if only I knew how amazing he was when he actually came would be incredible yeah. um and you know, I, I want to provide a life for my son and be there for him the way that my mum, my mum wasn't. So as soon as I had those six, seven sessions, I looked into it, researched and he was four months old and I went to the interview. I applied to go on the course. I went for the interview and I studied and uh, studied whilst he was, whilst I was on maternity leave, basically. Um, and then the day that I was due to go back to work, I handed in my notice. I continued to study um, and then I qualified. And then from that moment on, you know, I did everything I could in my power to kind of share my message and put myself out there in, in helping everyone and anyone that I could really. 
yeah so, um, yeah maternity leave at that stage was a godsend <laughs> totally and you know the, the motivation of your son who you were who you were yet to meet to mm. provide this amazing um relationship with yeah um, an environment for him to grow uh, and you know and that is it, it takes courage and it is incredible what you do um and you've touched on the brain and you are known as the brain witch <laughs> you're not just a mindset coach you really understand the brain and you help other people to understand the brain and i think when it comes to mindset it is a, a very very powerful thing mm. it's powerful in both both positive and negative it can lead us down tremendous paths but it also down paths of destruction all that all begins with that choice and hearing your story and um hearing the emotion in your story having come so far it shows that it's all right to still feel those emotions and that they will always be there but they're not defining you in the way that they could have and it's okay to have those emotions and to still be you know touched by them because you're never going to get fully get over something like that no. of course you're not you know she was your mum it was an incredibly hard situation to be in but you've chosen to not let it define you and to surrender to those emotions when they come up understand why they do but to to use them down that positive path that that path of inspiring others of helping others um and and sharing your experience because it is an incredible one and it is one that hopefully a lot of people can not necessarily relate to because every story is unique but mental illness is growing it's out there it's out there that and it's going to affect people that we know and the more that we can understand it and the more that we can recognize that it's not a personal attack on those loved ones that are living with that person and it's not a, and it's not a choice that they're making either it's that choice that's been taken from them and when we see those glimmers of of light and of hope that's when they're they're really kind of shining through yeah. um, and knowing that there is help out there that that can support you in that what have you learned the most as you as a person firstly but also you as a business lady Oh, good question. Um, that you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I like to blow my own trumpet or anything. Um, so I think resilience. I think even when we feel like we're at rock bottom, and I've had my times in business, you know, I've, I've, this, this isn't being a quick fix this this in itself setting up my own business and really following through with my my mission and my passion has been an incredible journey challenging journey um you know in terms of the debt that i've accrued as a result of me following my passion you know the, the strain that it's had on family all of those kind of things but it's the resilience it's having the understanding that no matter how hard and difficult and dark some days may feel we all have the power of choice we all have the power to pick ourselves back up again and start again and 
we don't give ourselves enough credit for just how resilient we are as human beings. Like we really, really don't. Um, and you know, we can give up, we can easily give up, but trusting yourself to know that you can do a good job and having that resilience in place to keep pushing you forward would be the biggest thing I've learned. I've learned that I can do far more than I ever anticipated that I could do on my own. And we all have that power, that power of choice. Uh, Totally. You know, choice is key. Choice is totally key. And, and um, making your goals bigger than the, than the fears, um, which we spoke about um, at the beginning of this um, interview, but also that comes with choice too, because you're choosing to, make your goals bigger than your fears. Um, And so, you know, choice is is massive. Um, It's the one thing that's never taken from us Mm -hmm. unless we allow someone to take it from us. Um, And when you realize that, because for years I didn't realize that, I I thought I'd lost that power um, within myself because of my past and and, and existed and almost sort of... um, went and I've never been a conformist but went along with what I thought I needed to do to be this person that people expected me to be mm-hmm. and it's not until you recognize that actually you have that choice that life is 10% what happens and 90% how you choose to respond to it that suddenly everything kind of makes sense yeah um and for for people that one choice could just be to, to seek help or to not give up, you know, and then that one choice leads on to, to another, to another, and, and then momentum builds. You know, it's, it's, it's having the understanding that we can't, as humans, control life's events. We can't control what happens to us. Mm. Um, we can't control other people's actions, but what we can control, what we can always control is our choice and how we move and grow from that situation. You know, you can have the the exact same traumatic experience happen to two people with both the same opportunities and one ends up giving in to what's happened to them and they turn into an alcoholic or they, you know, let those circumstances define them, like you quite rightly said, or, you know, that person that has that same choice decides to make what happened to them become their strength and chooses not to let those circumstances d- define you, you know, define them. Um, and, and that's the one thing, like you said, that no, nothing, no one can ever take that choice away from you, but you have to believe that you have that power to make the choice. Totally. Speaking of that belief, um, you know, I, I just asked them with regards to how has it changed you as a person? You mentioned that for, for a while, for a good few years, you felt unlovable and not worthy. Um, how, obviously, you've come a long way. And, you know, in your business, you've just spoken about that resilience um, is something that you've learned about yourself. How have you learned to, to handle those limiting beliefs that we, so many people carry around with them, whether it's through, you know, the trauma of losing a loved one, um, or any life-defining event, what advice can you offer to help people to move beyond that? Because that choice of believing is so true, but it has to start with something. So what, what does that start with for you? 
I think, again, knowledge is power. We have to understand that the beliefs that we have about ourselves are predominantly created through conditioning, through what we've seen, through what we've heard, through what we've experienced firsthand, through what other people have experienced. Um, and just because we have those belief systems that have been kind of put upon us doesn't mean that we can't rewrite our new beliefs about ourselves um and, and i think that's 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 the issue you know because we're so conditioned to believe certain things based on what we've heard but based on what we've seen based on everything in between whether it be teachers peers all of those kind of things we believe all of those beliefs then to be a hundred percent true those beliefs are true in our mind um but for everyone and anyone listening you have the power to rewrite your story you have the power to rewrite the beliefs that you now choose to want to believe about yourself um so i think knowledge is, is its power in understanding what limiting beliefs you currently have how you've been conditioned um you know what you've seen what you've heard all of those kind of things and getting really familiar with actually 90 percent of the stuff you feed yourself in your brain isn't actually coming from you it's from everyone else yeah how you want to feel about yourself you know i am lovable um i am an amazing mum. i am an amazing partner i do give my best as far as my clients are concerned and i've had to consciously rewrite those things that i want to believe myself in myself and it's taken a lot of conscious discipline um yeah but but for anyone listening i'd say you know again you've got the choice to make that decision in order to to rewrite uh, your story rewrite those beliefs cultivate how you want to be feeling about yourself and make it happen um and and make it a daily practice because you make it a daily practice and you believe those things your life changes in in the most miraculous ways 100%, 100%. What are your go-to techniques to help with that? Because for me, I do a lot of tapping, exercise, uh, tapping as an EFT, exercise, I've done journaling, I've done meditations. It's evolved as I've evolved as a person. Um, do you have any go-tos when you are feeling that vulnerability or that overwhelm kicking in again? Um. I have, I, well, I have, I'd say three main go-tos, uh, well, four main go-tos actually, and that's as a result of learning everything that I did from my hypnotherapist at the time. Um, positive activity, so whether that is taking myself out and going out for a walk for five, ten minutes, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's, you know, doing something that is is positive in terms of activity, positive interaction, Mm -hmm. and positive thinking so positive thinking can be made up of me just you know thinking oh my god i'm you know so grateful for the sun shining or look at my amazing sun's smile or you yeah. know just being consciously aware of those things um and then positive interaction you know how do you speak to people how often are you smiling at people so many people that suffer with depression have their heads down don't make eye contact don't speak to anyone and it's positive interaction which is hugely key to creating those feel-good chemicals that we need to take us out of that place mm. um so if i ever feel myself getting overwhelmed or you know i start to feel vulnerable or more stressed out than what i like to feel then usually it's because i've dropped one of those three crucial practices and then i think right what can i do today in order to make sure that that is a non-negotiable again and the fourth thing is hypnosis meditations all of those kind of things um you know listening to that feeding your mind with those those positive things that you need to hear in order to you know work from your best optimum level um 
journaling I still do so I do journaling in the morning you know I, I do affirmations but I'd say that three things are, are crucially important to my go-to's totally for me I, I i love just putting on some music and dancing like no one's watching oh, i love that as well <laughs> like no one can hear because no one would want to hear my singing but it's so emotive isn't it music and it is the one thing and also you know forcing a smile on your face and standing yeah. in front of the mirror so hard to be really down when you've got a smile on absolutely your face. absolutely um, it's cultivating those things isn't it and totally. aren't you a brilliant singer when you're singing on your own oh amazing <laughs> I often say, oh, hello, Wimberley. <laughs> lost in the moment, like I'm Adele or Ed <laughs> Really, I'm a drowning cat. But anyway, but yeah, it, it's, it is so important, isn't it, to have that shift and to move your body. Yes. Quite often when we're feeling vulnerable or um, overwhelmed or just low on ourselves we go in on ourselves i certainly find that my body kind of bends over a little bit and your and your language and everything becomes so much more close yeah. the minute you move and get rid of that stagnant energy it totally shifts and then you're preparing yourself to then revisit what you need to and to move yourself out of that that low energy yeah and I, th I think also the very thing that keeps us in that place the very thing that makes us feel good are the very things that we stop to do when we start to feel bad Absolutely. so it's about having that conscious discipline to make sure that they are non-negotiables regardless of how good you're feeling because actually making them non-negotiables ensure that you never slip down to that place where you have to constantly be bringing yourself back up again um and physiology and all of those kind of things are incredibly powerful you know, um, a smile, a dance, all of those kind of things. Like you say, it gets rid of the stagnant energy and creates yeah. new energy. Totally. And, and the non-negotiables, I, I made uh, a promise to myself two years ago to create non-negotiables. Um, and it took a while to adjust to it, but they are now exactly what they say on the tin. They are non-negotiables. And I won't compromise on that. And I feel really good about that. And, and, and it's giving yourself that permission to, to feel good about putting yourself first, because quite often we don't, um, especially women tend not to do so as much as um, perhaps men do. Um, no criticism, but it's, <laughs> we're, we're wired. Um, it's been amazing speaking to you, Sam. Is there any advice that you can give anyone who perhaps is going through similar or mental um, illness issues or anyone that really wants to create a change and start to put themselves first and make that choice? Yeah, I think it's, so I think the answer is twofold. I think for anyone that is really severely suffering with any form of mental illness, whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety or, or anything else, as dark as those dark days may seem, there is always an option to come out of that darkness. It, it just requires you to be open to receiving new knowledge on how you can step away from that. And I think that's one of my biggest missions with what I do is, you know, whilst I appreciate medication is crucially important for some mental illnesses, I think it's too much of a go-to for yeah. many. And actually we are fully in control of creating, you know, those feel good neurotransmitters and all of those kind of things to so just know that if you are in that place that it just takes that one choice to decide to step out of where you are to seek that help in a different way and your life can start to change 
Um, and I think the other answer in terms of kind of, you know, women feeling good and putting themselves first, which is something that I touch on so often and quite rightly with, with what you said, is often that we, we only allow ourselves to look or feel good as a result of having achieved something. So when I speak to, to women in business and I, and I speak to them about, you know, how would you look and feel if your business was where you wanted it to be? Well, you know, I'd be wearing makeup, I'd do my hair, I'd be dressing well, I'd be doing all of these kind of things, I'd be standing tall. And the thing is, doing all of those things first get you to where you want to be quicker. We yeah. have to cultivate how we want to be feeling in order to become the person that we want to be. So put yourself first. Wear that lipstick if you want to wear it. Do your hair. Stand tall. Practice walking around the house. Standing tall. Dancing yeah. to music. All of those kind of things. Because if you step into that place and that energy that's ultimately going to help you get to where you want to be. And it's also going to send your brain the message that you are important. You are worthy of all of the things that you desire. Love it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I've just got one last question. <laughs> and that is what's your mindset mantra? Oh, what's what my mindset? Yeah. God, my mindset mantra. I mean, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Feel the fear. Do it anyway. Yeah. Um, you're capable of great things. L l I, honestly, I've got a, a book of what I tell myself on a daily flip basis. <laughs> behind me, you'll flip the switch. Yeah, flip your switch. You know, you've got the capability. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, you, you know, anything is possible. Anything you put your mind to is is possible. We've all got that capability, that power. So, they're they're the kind of things that I tell myself daily. Um, feel the fear, do it anyway, is probably one of my biggest things because yeah. we can't eradicate fear. It's always going to be there. That's way, the way that our brain is designed, but we can take action despite the fear and that's where the magic happens. Totally. Sam, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to add your links um, into the show notes so people can contact you if, if they want to find out more or follow you on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, that. I really, really appreciate your honesty and your rawness and um, allowing me to, to talk um, so personally about your mum. So thank you so much. It's been amazing having you on the show and I hope everyone's enjoyed it. So thank you so much for having me. You. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been amazing. And I'm sure that, that I'll bring you back because there's so much more that we could go into aside of that from a mindset point of view that could really help other people. So thanks ever so much. I appreciate that. My pleasure. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Bye for now. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now.